Okay, friends, if you have a Bible, if you would please open with me to Colossians chapter 2. When the Apostle Paul was in prison the first time, a story that you can read about in Acts 22 through 28, he heard from Epaphras, one of his young disciples who had heard the gospel in the shadows of the crowd in Ephesus where he ministered for three years. And Epaphras went back to his hometown in Colossae. Colossae was, was once a, 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 the, the site of a great uh, battle in about 100 uh, BC. It was once uh, kind of the talk of the area, but all of the trade routes that were built through the Lycus Valley went around Colossae. They went to Laodicea, they went to Ephesus. And so by the time Epaphras goes back to his hometown to plant this church, you know, Colossae was just a little country village. And in Colossae, there were a group of people, there was a shaman-like leader there who was leading the people of Colossae away from the gospel that Epaphras was teaching them. They were beginning to believe in angel worship and um, all kinds of asceticism. They were syncretizing all kinds of Jewish belief with Greek theology. And so Paul writes a book to the Colossians to help recalibrate their doctrine and re-coordinate their ethics. He wrote to recalibrate their doctrine and then to, re- to re-coordinate the way they lived. And when you get to uh, Colossians chapter 2, it begins with hosts in Greek, as. And it answers the question of Paul's argument. Okay, how are we if you've said that Christ is preeminent, he's supreme, how are we then to live our lives in Christ and not get taken by a false gospel? And this is what he has to say. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, summarize all that Paul has talked about thus far in the book, and it essentially sets up everything else that he's going to talk about in the rest. This passage is very much like uh, Romans, you know, 7, 7, that kind of summarizes all of Romans 7, 8 through 8, 11. It's, It's a key, pivotal passage in the argument of the apostle. And Paul uses this metaphor to walk here for the second time. He uses it four times in Colossians, and he uses it here for the second time. And in Greek, the word walk is the word peripateo. And in Greek, it is a present imperative, which means it has ongoing action. The 1984 version of the NIV, if you may have the NIV, the old version of the NIV, not the TNIV, but the older version, it puts it this way. It says, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live in Him. The word walk is a metaphor that refers to the conduct and behavior that follows or flows out of one's beliefs. 
The word walk in the book of Colossians means the conduct and the behavior that follows and flows out of one's beliefs. So in Colossians uh, chapter three, in these, in all of this list of, of sins, Paul lists in chapter three, you once walked when you were living in them, your conduct and behavior flowed out of your beliefs. And it was Paul's prayer in Colossians 1, 9, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then again in verse five of Colossians chapter four, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. The word walk is a metaphor that comes from the Jewish culture. In Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 33, Moses says that you shall walk in the way of your Lord that God has commanded you. And the Hebrew word halach or halakha refers to, the word halach means to walk or to journey. The word halakha is the, is the running commentary that the Jews, that the rabbis had for teaching people how specifically to obey the Old Testament commands. It, were, it was the rules, a rabbi might say, for learning how to walk in daily life. So Paul is pulling all this beautiful Old Testament imagery into this passage when he says, walk in him, live consistently out of who you are in Christ. Now, what does that mean? Let's think about walking together. When you walk, what do you need? Well, it first depends on if you can walk, right? I mean, we take our legs for granted, but not everybody can walk. Do your legs work or are they impaired? Maybe you were born without the ability to walk. Maybe you're, you're, maybe you're, you're, you're watching and you can't, you can't physically get here because of, of other you know, requirements. And you, can't, you can't walk. Maybe your walk looks different. Maybe you're on crutches. Maybe you're in a wheelchair. You can move, but you can't walk. Assuming you can walk or move from one place to the next, what else do you need? Well, it depends on where you're walking, right? I mean, if you're walking to the fridge at 2 a.m., you don't need shoes. But if you're walking up Pike's Peak, you do. Where are you going? You have ability, but you also need to know where you're walking. You need direction. What else do you need when you walk? Seriously, what do you need when you walk? You need the ability. You need direction. Well, you need equipment when you walk, right? You need equipment. Are, are you walking across the Gobi Desert or are you walking to the fridge at 2 a.m.? Do you need shoes or do you not? Every mother knows what it's like to get all the way somewhere and then realize their four-year-old does not have the shoes in the car. You need equipment. And walking in the spiritual life is no different. Is it hot or is it sunny outside? Do you need a hat or do you need an umbrella? Should you bring a jacket? Is it cool? Or should you wear shorts and a t-shirt because it's hot? You need equipment. And every single one of us, we've all been taught how to walk by our parents or those who raised us. And we instinctively think without even a moment's notice, we think about our ability, we think about our direction, and we think about the equipment that we need. And we do it automatically. And Paul wants to tell the Colossians, do the same thing spiritually. And so he explores these three ideas in this metaphor of walk. 
ability. Number one, can you do it? Direction, number two, where are you going? And equipment, number three, what support do you need? And talking about walking in these basic ways begins to unpack this metaphor that the Apostle Paul gives to the Colossians to help them avoid the landmines that were all of these false and folk religions that were beginning to emerge in Colossae. First, God enables you to walk. God enables you to live with the character and conduct of God's commands in light of Jesus's accomplishment for us. God enables you to walk. We who were once dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive in Christ. He enables us. Notice that if you look at the text and you keep reading, there are three passive participles that follow. You were rooted, you were built up, and you were established. An agricultural, an architectural, and a legal metaphor. Paul just like uses these cascading metaphors to teach us that something has happened to you. You didn't teach yourself to walk, you were enabled to walk. To receive paralambano means to, it's a technical sense of receiving information passed down from one generation to the next, or one teacher to a student. It is information transfer, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. What does it mean to have received Christ Jesus the Lord? It means that you see Christ Jesus the Lord. He is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one, Tone Christone. He is the one who has been anointed in the prophecies of the Old Testament and we see him echoed all throughout scripture. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel, Genesis chapter three. Or Isaiah 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch, from his roots shall bear fruit, echoes of this anointed one. Or Micah 5, 2. O Bethlehem, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from of the ancient of days. And all throughout the Old Testament, these echoes of this coming Messiah, he's Christ. And you believe that. Your Messiah is not the security you provide for your family, your Messiah is not your brains or bronze or bold personality. Your salvation is found in Him. And He's Jesus, which means that He knows what it's like to be human. Something the Colossians forgot and they did not believe. They thought Jesus was deity, but not full humanity. And Paul says, Christ Jesus, because he's trying to nail down the humanity of Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to be where you are, brother. Sister, he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to lose a close person who he loved. He knows what it's like to weep. Like Jesus's humanity reminds us that in our darkest days, your savior has been there. Oh no, he couldn't possibly have known what it was like to be me. Oh yes, he does. He gave up the infinite riches of heaven and he took upon himself the form of a man because he loves you. And he's the Lord. Ton kirion in Greek, which means that he is the one who is supreme, who has the right to command his subjects. 
an emperor was considered a lord or a master of a house was considered a lord and Jesus here is considered, he's called the Lord. And over 60 times, did you know this? Over 60 times in the New Testament, Christ, Jesus, and Lord are put together. And only eight of those times are they put together in this order. And only two of those times do you have it exactly like this, where it says, the Christ, Jesus, the Lord. And Paul's point is to hammer down that truth, to say you have to be able to see that Jesus is the promised hope for you, outside of which there is no salvation. Jesus knows what it's like to be human because he was fully human and he died for you. And Jesus is also your Lord. So there's not one area of your life that you can keep back from him if he's really the king. Nothing that he can't ask of you if he really is who he says he is. But not only does he enable you, but he also, he directs you. He directs you. Verses six and seven provide the foundation for all that Paul continues to talk about in verses eight down through verse 23 about the, the Colossian heresy, this syncretism of Jewish belief with angel worship and they just took it. And it's interesting, isn't it, today, a lot of Christians are just taking it. Like on one hand, you've got people who are talking about unity and they're using really big buzzwords, some of which make you uncomfortable, perhaps. They're using words like, you know, social theory words and, and words about, about race and ethnicity. And they're, they're using words that are very charged words to say, we need to all come together and kind of forming a new doctrine to kind of subjugate everybody under this new religion. And then on the other hand, there, there are people who say, no, 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 what you really need is you just, you just need, you just need doctrine and you just need Bible. And you, you, you don't, you just need to believe the word and you need to remove yourself from the world and you need to just focus on what is true, beautiful and good. And let, let those guys work it out. And what the gospel says is you need both unity, yes, and you also need purity. And God says, I've given you a church, Colossia, Colossae. I've given you the church to wrestle with these issues together in. I've given you a direction, 360 degrees on a compass, and each of us walk a certain direction. We walk a direction to fulfill our ministry and our calling the Lord has put upon us. And we walk amidst all kinds of competing values. And so what Paul is saying here is he wants us to walk in him. That's the direction. Walk in him. That means live out of all that he has done for you now, not later, not next week, today. Like a good surgeon, he wants to take his scalpel and say, I see, I know where you're struggling. I'm with you. And I want you to be able to allow me to take that. Receive my truth hand over the idols of your heart and walk with me in the direction that I called you. And when you walk, for most of us, if you're under four, sometimes you have four legs, your arms and your legs together when you walk on the floor. But for most of us, we have two legs. We walk, we walk back and forth, back and forth, right, left, right, left, right. And in the Christian life, you also have two legs. When you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, you had the leg of faith and you had the leg of repentance. And these legs, who, who you walked into the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
enabled to believe, you believed and you walked in faith and repentance. And that is also how you walk in sanctification. You obey what God calls us to do because he enables you with the strength to do it, but you walk right, left, right, left. Faith, repentance, faith, repentance. And that becomes the rhythm of your life together. And so it protects you from this self-righteousness that makes you believe at some point that you don't need to be humble and listen to people who may disagree with you. Maybe there's a kernel of truth in their criticism. And it also reminds you that Jesus isn't done with you yet. You're walking in him and he's taking us there together as a church. So first, God enables you. Second, God directs you. And third, God equips you. We walk in him. It's his accomplishments. It's his body, his protection. Think about the kinds of equipment you need to just go to town. If you want to go to Tulsa, what do you need? Well, you need car keys. You need, you know, if it's going to rain today, you need your jacket. You may need your wallet if you're going to purchase something. You need to make sure you have your children, dads, moms. Our lost and found is really good, but we don't take kids. <laughs> and you go to town, so you need, you need equipment. And so we think about the nature of the church. What do you need? Well, Paul says earlier, he says, Though I am absent with you in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ, your plural. We're in this thing together. And the equipment that the Lord has given to us is the equipment of God's word to reshape our worldview. He's given us a community to mold us and to shape us. He's given us the sacraments, which Pastor Scott's gonna lead us in in just a moment. He's given us prayer, which we want to invite you into He's given you these tools to help shape and mold you. Do you use them? You would never go to downtown Tulsa without any clothes on. It's a funny thing to even think about. But so often we live the Christian life without availing ourselves to the sacraments. We live the Christian life without thinking about the importance of God's word. We live the Christian life without thinking we need the community. I'm a lone ranger Christianity. It's just me and Jesus and my dwell Bible app. And the problem with that is that slowly but surely what happens? you begin to be taken in by other syncretistic religions. And Paul would say to you, oh, walk in him. See, the church is crucial. And we're building a building not because, not because we're trying to build a building for building's sake. We're trying to build a building so that the Lord can continue to use how he's equipped us to extend his vision. Really, yes, it's given us a place to meet and it's a place for us to be able to call home. But on many levels, it's not even about us. I mean, I pray that I'm here for the rest of my uh, pastoral life, and I pray that you're here too, but you can move. And so we're not just building this for us, we're building this for the people who will come in the future. And a building is one of those resources that he gives us, the kind of equipment that he calls us to be able to share, to better avail ourselves to the means of grace that he's called us to experience as a body. We share in fellowship and prayer, suffering, celebration, and life together. And this creates a positive feedback loop where you're able to communicate with each other and you're able to communicate with others to help shape you and mold you and help you understand God's word. And it creates a positive feedback loop and a world spinning of negative feedback loops. 
and we have got to fight for it. It's not easy, and you will take advantage of it, and I will too, and you gotta fight for it. You know, have you ever seen, um, uh, uh, you've ever seen these movies where the father, the patriarch will sit at the head of the table, and he'll raise a glass, and he'll say, we got something beautiful here. You know, you see this in movies on occasion, Blue Bloods, or um, uh, uh, what's the show that we used to watch with the father that used to, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, all these shows. But that's what we've got. And it's like Nathan and I are up here saying to you, we've got something beautiful here. Fight for it. And so would you avail yourself to the sacraments? Would you avail yourself to the beauty of all that Christ has provided in this church? If you're not in a community group, would you find one? Would you come track down Pastor Scott after this and say, I'm not in a community group, I wanna be in one. If you're new to the church and you haven't yet joined, would you just consider praying about coming to join the church? Come under the leadership of the elders who love you and care for your soul. We've got membership interviews after this as a demonstration of that. We're so grateful for that. You gotta fight for it. The main condition of spiritual life, according to 1 John chapter 1, is fellowship with God. And the prerequisite for communion with God was walking in the light. He has called you to fellowship with Him. If you want to experience the newness of all that He has offered to you, then what? You walk in the light. John says, I have no greater love or joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. God has given you the ability he has set us on the direction in Christ, and He's equipped us with everybody else in this room and the means of grace provided in the sacraments, His preached word in prayer and fellowship. Avail yourself to it. Go on the journey. Go on the walk. Ability, direction, equipment. You think about it instantaneously in your daily life. Consider also the implications for your spiritual life and see in God's providence how He has placed you in this body, in this community, to be able to walk in Him, just as we together received Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that You would help us to recognize that in the beauty of Your Word comes the staggering truth that You give us the ability, You set us in the right direction, and You provide us with the equipment Help us to worship you. Help us to run in the direction toward which you have called us. And help us to do so with the right equipment. Brothers and sisters to our right and left, locked in arms among them. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.